I'm really excited to get to speak to you guys again. This is a, I absolutely love getting to do this, and I'm even more excited about this message specifically, because as I've been preparing for this message, I really have come to feel that what Paul talks about here is incredibly key to everything else, not just that he talks about, but that Jesus talked about when he was on earth, and that the rest of the New Testament, really even the Old Testament, has to talk to us about. And I think that I, I didn't. it was really cool to see the first song that um, the band played, because I think that that song, um, Build Your Kingdom Here, is such an incredible word picture for what we're going to be talking about today. Because when you think about a kingdom, every kingdom has citizens. We're going to talk about how because of the gospel, because of what Christ did on the cross, we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom and envoys here on this earth as a representative of that kingdom. So with that, we're going to be diving into Philippians chapter 3. Uh, verses 17 through 21. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, um, while you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and give us a brief recap of what Paul's talked about so far within this book, because obviously this letter to the Philippians is jam-packed with a lot of really important stuff, and whether or not um, this is your maybe this is your first time joining us, um, and we want to catch you up to speed, or maybe, I know a lot of you just week to week, it's hard for you to remember what we talked about in the previous weeks. I'd encourage you to take notes but because I know that's not the case all the time for all of you, we're going to go ahead and just do a brief recap. So in chapter 1 of the book of Philippians, Paul starts out encouraging these believers because we talked about how Paul was writing this letter to the Philippian church from Rome. He's in prison there and is awaiting trial, and the Philippians were flipping out because of it. Yeah, every week I think I get a little bit less laughs on that one because it's not funny. <laughs> and then from there we see him go on and he says that the, the whole chapter is just jam-packed with these, di- diff- these different encouragements. That like, hey, don't be discouraged about these people that are preaching the gospel for their own gain because the gospel's still being advanced and I can take it. And he says that for him to live as Christ and die is gain, so don't be worried about the fact that he's in prison. And we talked about those different ideas. And he ends off that chapter one with this idea to live lives worthy of the gospel. And with that idea, this idea of living lives worthy of the gospel, he transitions in chapter 2 into giving us examples and exhortation. The examples he gives, first of all, is Christ. Okay, he starts off in that beautiful, uh, it's almost like a poem describing Christ to us and what Christ did and how he is our perfect example. And then in the middle there, he talks about how we are to shine like stars. He's exhorting them to, to, live up and to live up to what Christ has enabled us to do and to shine like stars among this warped and crooked generation. And then tra- transitions there into giving us the example of Timoth- Timothy and Epaphroditus. Because he knows that while we have a heavenly father and Jesus Christ is an example, he knows that that can sometimes be a lofty example to live up to. So there's these human examples in Timothy and Epaphroditus that he puts before us and says follow their example. I have no one like Timothy, and Epaphroditus risked his life because of the gospel. Like, follow their example. 
But then in chapter 3, he, you see, we're getting, we're past the middle point of Philippians. So Paul, as, as any of you know that do any writing, once you're starting to get near the conclusion, you're starting to bring all your thoughts together. And this is the last section of chapter 3 that we're going to be reading today. And from throughout chapter 3, Paul is talking about not living according to the flesh, but living according to the Spirit. And in our verses today, it's, it's easy to miss, but he draws that line crystal clear with this idea of citizenship. So with that, let's go ahead and read this passage, give us a little bit better context. So Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Paul writes, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies to the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring everything under his control, or Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. It's easy to miss, but citizenship is front and center in this verse, in these verses. In verse 19 through 20, I'm going to read it again to to help bring this into better focus. Because Paul draws the line between earthly citizenship and heavenly citizenship. When he writes, their destiny is destruction. Their their, Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. By this, he's implying their citizenship is not. We obviously know that from countless other scriptures, that there's a distinct difference between those who have put their faith in Christ and those who have not. And that amounts to where we're citizens. Because of Christ, where we've become citizens. Because a lot is happening in these verses, and because Paul is drawn near to his conclusion, and while this isn't his conclusion, all of his thoughts are coming to the surface in this. And it's all wrapped up in this idea of citizenship. So let's look at what a definition of citizenship is. So there's a few definitions, and I pulled this straight from the internet, which is always truthful, right? But it's Merriam-Webster Dictionary, so I kind of give it a little bit more stock. Um, So some definitions. An inhabitant of a city or town, especially one entitled to rights and privileges of a free man, a native or naturalized person who owes allegiance to a government and is entitled to protection from it, a civilian as distinguished from a specialized servant of the state. So I, I really think that that first definition sums it up well, and the other ones just give it some context one entitled to rights and privileges of a free man. I I think that that is a lot of the idea of what Paul is driving towards here when he's talking about our heavenly citizenship. Because this idea of citizenship is a big deal. Because of our heavenly citizenship, we shouldn't look and act like we're still citizens here. Okay, like, 
because of our citizenship, not us working because of that citizenship, but naturally because of this citizenship, we should want to live as if we were a citizen. And we've talked about that in these last few weeks, talking about the idea of sanctification and the idea that we are not doing this because we think we have to, but because it is the way that God is changing our heart. But to really show just the idea of how big of a deal this idea of citizenship is, I want to read another passage for you guys. Ironically, and I think this is certainly another example of God just working everything together in the way that he inspired Scripture. But we see a great example of the importance of citizenship the first time Paul visits Philippi. So go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 37. So this is the story of how Paul first came to Philippi. And Dave's talked about this some in the last few weeks as we've been going through this. But how Lydia was converted and Paul was staying at Lydia's house. And then this slave girl that was possessed by a demon was following them around and Paul casts out the demon. And because of that, he gets thrown into prison. And this is after all of that. After Paul and Silas had been beaten without a trial, after they'd been put in prison, after they had had an opportunity to escape and chose not to, and because of that, the the soldier that was guarding them and his whole family ended up accepting Christ. This is the next morning. Starting in verse 37, we read these words. But Paul said to the officers, these are the officers coming to to set them free, said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. And they threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. Why were they alarmed? Because the citizenship, the fact that they were citizens of Rome, was important. Because because of their citizenship, they were entitled to a trial. To not get beaten for no reason, without any proof. And that was something that wasn't promised to non-citizens. They thought, in in the verses before that, they described them, oh, these Jews are teaching customs unlawful for us Romans. And a couple people corroborate that, so they get beaten and thrown in prison. That's not something that you can do to a Roman citizen. So now, these magistrates are afraid for their jobs. They realize that this is a big deal. They beat Roman citizens, and now they could get thrown in prison or executed for it. If we miss how key that is, we're going to miss just how important this idea of citizenship is when Paul writes about it in Philippians. So for us, we're, we're, we're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. We're citizens of heaven. We're representatives here of that kingdom. So what special privileges does that come with? Well, the, the gospel. Because we are citizens, we are citizens because we are saved by grace, through Christ. And what we don't have to go through because of that is hell. We're protected from the the damnation of hell. So that's the benefit for us as heavenly citizens. But Paul's saying that we we should act like that. 
Citizens of Rome act like Romans. They can see that everywhere they go. The Philippians are living in a Roman colony, and it looks a lot like Rome. People walking around would be reminded of Rome. The people here are basically all Roman citizens. And in this, this juxtaposition between the way these people live and us as citizens of heaven, Paul's drawing a stark um, line between the two. Because he's, it's, he's, it's, he's asking as if, do we as citizens of heaven live like them? And he knows that the answer is all too often no. Because God is still at work in us. He's still refining us. He's still sanctifying us into what he would have us be and what we will be in heaven. So Paul gives us, at the beginning of these verses, some examples, some more examples, and tells us how we can better live up to our heavenly citizenship. Starting in verse 17, he writes, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as an example, or as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So, Paul is telling them, I know that on your own, you're not going to live up to Christ. But God's working in you, and he's giving you these examples. Paul's saying, keep your eyes on us and those that live as we do. So follow us. Think about the idea of a coach. What does a coach do? They generally, they instruct you, they help teach you, they are an example. A good coach usually does it with you. They'll show you, be an example for you. Just think about it like this. Our examples show us how to get to where we're going. They're a step along the way. If we see somebody already there, they're an example for us, and we know we can get there. So with sports, with music, with art, you have these coaches, these people that are more experienced than you, right? Like, I'm thinking my first experiences with art, art class. You have an art teacher, somebody that's more experienced and generally is somewhat talented with what they're doing, right? With sports, you have a coach that knows what they're talking about, shows you maybe how to swing a bat, shows you how to throw a football. Um, I hear now what, like, with Fortnite, there's coaches for that even? Like, okay, I'm not even going to go there, but... You generally are a coach, an example, is somebody that is more experienced than you, farther along, and somebody you can look to as an example. For me in my life, that was, well, at different times, it was different people. It started out whenever I was really young. My parents, they, they taught me to pray every night. They would pray with me. They would uh, teach me to read my Bible and these, these key, these core foundational things that they established in me as an example. And then later on, once I got into middle school, my youth pastor. I, I joined, started going to youth group around 6th or 7th grade. And my youth pastor, Jim, and his wife, and some of the other adult leaders, like um, one, of, one of the leaders, Frank, these, these leaders became such a key example to me because I could look at them and know that they were living out their faith. That they... We're living it out not because they felt like they had to, but because they loved the Lord, and I could follow that. And even though I knew I would make mistakes, it was an example with which I could aim towards. But that's not all that Paul talks about here. He says the first two words of this verse, join together. Okay, look around the tables at you. Look, at, look around the tables at everybody else around your table. He's saying, join together with those around you of following my example. 
You can imagine that if you're joining together a bunch of people, following an example, there's a lot of these other people around you that kind of like hold you accountable. As you look around, maybe you know that some, some of your friends, you're like, yeah, like they're following after the Lord. They're following the examples in their life that are more experienced. And then you, beside them, know I can run with this person in pursuing that example. Because what does that do? That, it helps you if, you, if you start to stumble or trying to figure something out, having somebody that's going through that with you helps serve as an example as well. Think about any of the um, things that I just named, whether that was art, music, sports. Somebody that started about the same time as you did or, or about as talented as you that are trying to become better. If you have a, if you have a healthy um, way of looking at things, you can be encouraged from that. You can drive each other onward. There can be some con- healthy competition there, driving you on to do better, to understand better, to, to really work towards that example. Not because you have to, but because you want to. For me, I think about once I got to college, um, I, I obviously, I, I went to Liberty University, and um, I'm still technically a student there, but that, way back in my freshman year, I got to college, and I knew nobody. I decided to go six hours away for school, and that was no small thing. I, I knew one person on the whole campus. And we get put in these things called prayer groups at Liberty. So you, you have um, one person that leads it. It's like a small group with like four or five other people, guys with guys, girls with girls. And you go through um, like a discussion once a week on Wednesday nights, and you you're supposed to, you don't have to, but your prayer leader is there to meet with you one-on-one throughout the week, just catching up and helping you helping you grow. But this is a peer. This isn't like somebody that's years older than you. No, it's generally somebody that is maybe one grade ahead of you, sometimes the same grade, and they're an example for you. Well, for me, my freshman year, I got put in a prayer group, and I was very prideful. Okay? I wanted to be one of these prayer leaders, but I didn't get it. And I got put in with in this prayer group with this guy named David. And I'm just going to be completely honest. It, me and my pride absolutely hated him. He was a freshman like I was. He had just come into Liberty. And I just had it in my mind that, oh, I, I should have this position that he has. And anytime anything happened, I would pick apart what he did. I was a jerk. And about a semester later, me still meeting with this guy weekly because it was what I, I felt like it was what I was supposed to do. It's what I needed to do. Maybe he'll learn something from me um, in my pride was thinking that. Um, finally, I'm praying one day, and I'm just like, God, I, I need to be humbled. Uh, wasn't thinking about that specifically, but over the next couple weeks, it just became so apparent to me the hate and the pride that was in me towards this brother in Christ that was trying to serve as an example that was obviously making mistakes just like I was, but he was being a humble example that I was supposed to be running this race with, that I was supposed to be a, a, a co-citizen with, that we, we, were, we were following after the examples of people more experienced than us, but I should have been running that with him and not constantly trying to tear him down. One day we're sitting there at lunch, and I just I look across the table at him, and I'm like, David, I'm sorry, but I, I hated you looks across the table at me and he says, oh, I know. 
Talk about one of those like moments where you're like, well, this is awkward. Um, but I can tell you what, David has become my absolute best friend in the world. I'm going to his wedding in January, and throughout the rest of my time at Liberty, and even now, we serve as such encouragements to each other. Like, we, we both are able to serve as that. We're not striving to be like each other. We're both striving towards greater goals, to be like Christ, to emulate those examples in the faith who are far, much farther along than we are. But we're able to be there for each other and help pick each other up when we stumble and help each other grow in the midst of that because we join together in following these examples. If you're following with people, then you can look to each other in the direction they're going in times whenever you're struggling. But the line is drawn right after this in the examples that we are not to follow. Starting in verse 18, Paul writes, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies to the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. kind of boils down to don't follow earthly citizens. If this whole idea is you're going to look like the people you follow, don't follow people that aren't heavenly citizens. I think we, we all too often we do this. Think about in the news, sports, social media. The big names in culture are generally people that we shouldn't be following. They're not the examples Paul's talking about here, people who are farther along in the faith than we are that we should strive to be like. But all too often we're striving to be like people that have no citizenship in heaven, that ultimately that we should not be striving to be like. You won't live like a citizen of heaven following citizens of the earth. This this whole idea of citizenship, we, we kind of get it wrong nowadays. Because it wasn't until about the 19, I think it's the 1960s, that this idea of citizenship, you could be a dual citizen. Before that, it was a lot bigger deal. Back in Paul's time, if you're a citizen of one place, you're not a citizen of, of another. And we, we've changed that since then. Um, you can be a dual citizen. But that's not the context Paul's writing in. If you're a citizen of heaven, you're a citizen of heaven. So, writing this to this Roman colony, Paul's writing it to the church, the Christian colony, this colony of heaven within Philippi. Kind of like that song, Build Your Kingdom Here. Paul's encouraging them, build your, God, build your kingdom here through these citizens of heaven. Because the king, your kingdom is here, through them. But it should look like it too. Think about this room. I don't know all of you. I know a lot of you, but I don't know all of you. If this, is, if this was to be somebody's first time here, would it look different to them than any other gathering of people? 
would it be defined by what we as Christians should be defined by? Love, grace, forgiveness, kindness? Would it look different? Or would it look like Rome? Would it look like the culture that we're immersed in? That whole idea of sanctification that we've been talking about that's so present throughout Paul's letter, sanctification is that process of looking more and more like that citizen of heaven. And in the end, we're made new in heaven and we are become a full citizen without being pulled down by our sinful nature. But I, that question that I, that I asked you guys about, would somebody be able to tell that this is different? soak on that and as we go into our time of discussion really challenge yourself that if you find the answer is no I would encourage you dive into scripture see what it's supposed to look like and try and live that out because if because that's God's will for you as a believer to look more and more like his son to look like what you are a citizen of heaven with that we're going to go ahead into our time of discussion with our groups thanks guys